Well, good morning. For those of you I don't know, I'm James Harlan. I serve as the canon evangelist for the Diocese of Southern Virginia. I know, what does that mean, right? I don't know. It means that I get to support clergy and lay leaders and congregations as we all work to build God's beloved community in Southern Virginia and as we live and serve together in our respective parishes and beyond. On behalf of our bishop, Susan Haynes, and all the members of our over 100 congregations, schools, chaplaincies, and other ministries that make up the diocese, I bring you greetings today. However, you need to know Christ in St. Luke's is my home parish. Though, frankly, I'm kind of an irregular attender, one of those folks whom the parish priests see every six or eight weeks and give me that sort of look when I show up, like, where have you been? The fact is, my work takes me all around the diocese, from the eastern shore up to the suburbs of Richmond, as far west as Danville, and everything in between. But I live just around the corner in Freemason, just a short walk or drive from here. You need to know that I am a technology guy. I hold to the unfounded assumption that if there's a high-tech way to do something, it's probably better. I remember, actually, when my wife Eli and I were moving here, a friend got us a paper map of Hampton Roads. I hadn't seen a paper map or used one in years. I didn't know what to do with it. I think Google Maps works just fine. In fact, I tend to fire up Google Maps even if I know where I'm going, even driving sometimes the one mile from our home to our parish home here. My reasoning, and I'm not saying it's great reasoning, is that I can see there's traffic or other issues. It will alert me when I next need to turn as I get distracted by my music or my podcast or my audiobook. You know how that goes. And it gives me a feeling of security that I won't get lost. And how satisfying when that sweet little, on mine, British voice, I like a British voice, it sounds so much more jaunty, says, you've arrived. It's lovely. It's great. Now, I promise, by the way, that I don't so slavishly follow Google's directions that I'll ever drive into a lake because Google said to. Although, I will tell you, driving around here after heavy rain feels like I might sometimes. But here's the best part of it. It's free, right? It doesn't cost me a thing to use Google Maps. Google charges me exactly nothing for their vast repository of map and navigation and traffic data. Of course, you know the saying, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Have you heard that before? <laughs> if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Can we even grasp how many organizations, companies, advertisers, so-called news organizations, politicians, special interest groups are trying to get our attention online. We're bombarded with ads and messages that are increasingly targeted directly at us. More and more advertisers use data harvested from our online presence to tailor their messaging to our tastes. We've all come over the past several years to learn and probably loathe the word algorithm, right? I have no idea how one works, 
They did not teach algorithms in seminary. But I know that they can be designed to learn what best captures and keeps our attention. It seems that algorithms are at the heart of what is so pernicious about online media. Websites and apps aren't designed to encourage us, to strengthen us, or even to inform us. They're designed to keep our attention, to keep clicking the like button or the share button so that they can learn more about us and serve us ads, so that they can make more money. That's it. Our online behavior is the product being sold to advertisers. There's little to no public or private good in all this. Because what algorithms seem to know that we're loath to admit is that what keeps us on an app or website, what keeps us clicking that like button, is that we get stirred up or excited or emotional when things play on our fears, when stories, truthful or not, validate our need for control or superiority. Researchers even tell us this is addictive. We actually have to work really hard to seek out and to hear positive, faithful voices in our media today. Because if we unwittingly click that like button on one of those false voices, we'll just get more deception. So I wonder how Jesus would reframe his parable in today's Gospel reading if he wanted us in 2023 to understand it easily. I don't think most of us immediately resonate with the image of sheep. I've never been or known a shepherd, personally. I suspect that's true for most of us. So I wonder if he would use some digital metaphor about the raging cacophony of voices practically and sometimes literally screaming for our attention and pretending to be godly. I think Jesus would have to caution his followers about the voices they choose to listen to. I believe as well that he would call out all the sheep-stealing voices that sound so seductive to us, that cloak themselves in the guise of free public discourse. I want to talk about the Gospel reading for a minute. It follows, what we read today follows Jesus, the miracle of Jesus' healing of the man born blind. Now, the prevailing assumption of the day Jesus healed that man was that if the man was born blind, it was punishment. The just deserts for someone's sin, either the man's sin before he was born, I don't know how that works, or the sin of his parents mercilessly visited upon him. Either way, the assertion of his blindness being the result of someone's sin provided a convenient rationalization for the religious and political power brokers of the day to ignore the man, or worse, to denigrate and to despise him. Just like those of us today who enjoy the advantages that come with our educational background, our family lineage, our financial resources or profession, or skin color or gender, or any combination of these and other attributes that make us part of the privileged classes, those who enjoyed the same kinds of advantages in Jesus' day 
desperately sought out ways to justify their superiority by justifying others' misery and deprivation. So when Jesus comes along and heals this man, he is most definitely not following those critical social norms that ensure that everyone knows and stays in their place. Jesus knew, he knew then, what we know now, that there are too many voices that purport to be of God, but rather will lead us away from God for their own advantage by playing on our fear or greed or pride. So why do we listen to the sheep stealers? It's actually an age-old issue with the church. We like our leaders strong, tough, bordering on being a bully, reigning supreme. We don't want a leader who's soft and gentle and open and generous. Somehow, we equate that with weakness. In fact, as generations of Jesus' followers went from being a fringe and persecuted group to being right in the court of the emperor, imperial power became attractive. As if that was the place Christianity was always meant to be. One scholar points out that the predominant image of Jesus went from being that of a shepherd and servant to that of an exalted, powerful ruler, like we often see over our altars. You'll note here, the very highest image, if you can see it, I got, I've got a canopy here, no, it's up, you assure me it's there. It's the Tadeum window, it's Christ victorious, it's what's called a, I'm going to try to pronounce it, no, Pantocrator. Did I get that right? Pantocrator. It's, um, he has no idea either. They didn't teach that in seminary either, did they? It's an image of Jesus that frankly looks, lot, looks a lot like an emperor holding imperial symbols of office, tough, victorious, strong, proud. That's the image that attracts us. And we got sucked into it centuries ago and forgot the images of shepherd and servant. Although, by the way, they're up there as well. But in John's Gospel, we're presented with the shepherd, not the ruler. Jesus insists he's the shepherd who knows each of us by name, who would give his life to save ours. So here's the point. You and I are not exactly sheep, are we? We don't naively go through life with an immediate mistrust of any voice that isn't the voice of God. Sadly, we are easily seduced by voices that sound so good, so morally upright, that stroke our ego and play on our fears. We need to be serious about the practice of listening to the voice of Jesus. We need to pay close attention to our personal fear and greed and pride. We need to pray for the grace to lay aside, to lay those aside, to strive to be less like the conquering imperial Jesus and more like the servant and shepherd. Then, then we might start hearing more clearly the voice of the good shepherd instilling in us peace, even as he calls us to love and serve. That voice of Jesus will lead us to abundant life.